Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have hit songwriter Joey Hyde. You're going to hear Joey's story of growing up in Grand Rapids and what first got him into music. You'll also hear about his time studying at Belmont, signing his first publishing deal, and writing the hit song Made For You for Jake Owen. I had a great time talking to Joey. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Joey? Dude, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. So it was cool doing the research for this podcast because uh, we actually, our hometowns are pretty close to each other. I see you grew up in Grand Rapids. I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. So uh, oh, yeah. I, me and my family would drive up to Grand Rapids all the time. Uh, what was it like growing up in Grand Rapids? Um, I loved it, man. I was in the suburbs just south of the city. Um, went uh, My like high school had a really big fine arts department. So just grew up with a lot of opportunities to play and learn and and get out and play music. For sure. Did you grow up in a musical family at all or? Uh, no, my family sucks at music, um, but they love it. So uh, especially my dad, he you know, just had a giant record collection, big rock and roll ex metal head dude. Um, so when I decided I wanted to try to play he it, it really fired him up because he always wanted to he just never could when he was younger um so it it really excited him that I wanted to jump into it that's awesome who are some of the first artists or albums you remember consuming that kind of made you feel an attachment to music um I grew up on classic rock I mean that was like the initial thing so I remember I started playing guitar when I was in like I got my first guitar I think in fifth grade um kind of learned my chords and learned a couple scales and then jumped right into trying to be David Gilmore from Pink Floyd and you know Randy Rhodes from Ozzy and and learning you know classic rock stuff Thin Lizzy ACDC all that shit sorry am I allowed to swear on this oh yeah you're all good <laughs> go ahead man I'm a yeah yeah <laughs> it's a bad, a bad northern habit <laughs> no it's, it must be a, a little bit of a midwest thing right <laughs> yeah it, I think so <laughs> What was the music scene like growing up uh, kind of in the Grand Rapids area? Um, Grand Rapids is an awesome touring hub um, because it's right in between a few major city stops for, for touring acts. So it felt like every tour that I wanted to go see came through town, whether that was at um, the intersection, which was like my go to club. That's about a thousand seats. Or the Van Andel Arena, which was, you know, our, you know, our arena in town, which is probably closer to twelve to 15,000. It felt like big or small, we had a venue that would fit and cater to any tour. And it was an easy stop for all the, the bands and artists touring through. So got to see a ton of stuff coming through. And my, my folks were cool about, you know, just letting me go downtown with my friends and, and go see shows. That's awesome. Now, were you forming kind of your own bands like in high school? Or when did that kind of start? Yeah, uh, I played in a few, you know, just garage bands in high school. Um, when I was a freshman, I played in a, like freshman, sophomore in high school, you know, 14, 15 years old. I played in some bands with some upperclassmen. 
Um, and then around like my sophomore year started, you know, my own bands that I was, you know, front man for and, and did all that. And, you know, had some connections with some local older guys that had recording studios. So like actually got to go in and like cut music and, and get, you know, recording time and play shows opening, whether it was, you know, coffee shop gigs or actual clubs and, you know, or a battle of the bands, you know, there was there. I I felt like there was always an opportunity to play, which was cool. And it, that was, you know, that was the, the garage band side of it. But also like my, like I said, my school's fine arts department was huge. So like I was like king of the band nerds kind of thing, you know, marching band and wind ensemble and symphonic orchestra. I did choir. I did some musicals, uh, jazz band. I mean, you name it. I was just trying to find a place to play. For sure. Now, when you were playing out, were you guys doing covers? Were you guys doing original material? Uh, it was uh, the the bands, like the garage bands I was in, we were doing original stuff. Um, we'd throw a cover or two in, you know, whether it was, you know, the, uh, Radiohead or, you know, Coldplay or it was, you know, The Killers or Maroon 5 or something like that. Like, you know, we'd, we'd throw a cover or two in, but it was mostly getting to, you know, play our original music. Yeah. Were you guys co-writing or were you kind of taking the lead on writing that original material? The first couple, like couple bands I was in when I was younger, I wasn't writing. I was mainly just like figuring out guitar parts for the stuff that our singer would write. Um, I had an older guy that I went to school with. He was a couple years older than me named Corey. And he was kind of my my first like big brother influence uh, with with bands and, and got me into some really cool music that I wouldn't have listened to or found. Um, and he was a great, great songwriter. So um, it was me kind of after he would write the song, I would jump in and kind of help figure out parts and stuff like that. Um, and then as I got older and started fronting my own bands, I, I became kind of the primary songwriter, but, you know, still collaborating within the band and, and the rest of the guys and, and, and working everything up together. For sure. Now, what's going on in your mind, like senior year of high school? What do you think the next step is? Are, uh, are you going to go to college because your parents want you to go? Or are you going to go because that's the step you want to take? What's, or just going into music fully? Um, it was kind of a mix of both. So my, uh, my parents moved from Michigan to Kentucky right before my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And they were really, really cool. Um, and gave me the option of, hey, do you want to move to Kentucky with us or do you want to stay in Michigan and finish out high school? I think they really understood as, as tough as it was being away from my folks because we're, you know, we're super close. They understood that all of my opportunities were wrapped in my community, whether it was my school, my church, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, all of my resume and opportunities were through you know, West Michigan and, and just picking up and starting over at a new school because I, I I did some unconventional things in high school that allowed me to play music. Um, I think they knew that it would have blown some opportunities. Um, and I had, I just had a good thing going up there. So they, they let me finish out high school. Um, I lived with some friends and then just kind of couch surfed a little bit, uh, so that I could kind of keep building the resume and then, from there, they moved to Lexington, Kentucky, uh, and I knew I was going to go. I was kind of looking at using college as the conduit to be in a city where I could make music. Mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of just the 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 reason for me to move somewhere cool to learn how to make music professionally. 
So coming out of high school, um, I was looking at like Chicago. I looked at, I was looking at Chicago a lot. I really wanted to go to DePaul mm-hmm. um, cause I was, I was a jazz guy. So I didn't love jazz, but I was good at it. And I knew there were opportunities through it. So I was looking at going to, to DePaul to play jazz in school, but so I could be in a cool city and make music. Um, but when my folks moved south to Lexington, um, they started hearing a lot from people about this school in Nashville called Belmont, mm-hmm. which is kind of right on the mouth of Music Row. Um, and so I ended up applying to Belmont and I got in and then I had another school in Michigan uh, called Western Michigan in Kalamazoo that I had great relationships with all the professors in, in the whole program just because I was close in proximity and they knew who I was. So they were kind of offering me scholarships and money to go there to play jazz. Um, and then DePaul was my first choice that I wanted to do. And it was kind of a weird fluke that I ended up in Nashville because I auditioned at DePaul and there were two rounds to get through to get accepted to the school. Um, I made it through the first round, got the acceptance letter. We'll, and they like, we'll let you know if you make it through the next round. And I never got an acceptance or denial letter from DePaul. So to this day, I have no idea if I made it or not, <laughs> but it was getting close to like, I got to, I got to make a choice. Yeah. Um, so I can't rely on that. Um, and I'd gotten into Belmont and I had gotten into Western Michigan mm-hmm. up in, uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I knew that I needed to be somewhere where music was being made professionally and as great as Western's program was and as great as the professors were to me, I knew that Kalamazoo was just not the scene for me to learn to be a professional musician. Right. Um, so ended up getting into Belmont and went, you know, moved to Nashville and it made sense because my folks were closer and, um, and you know, what, you know, all that, but, uh, ended up in Nashville. And when I ended up here, like I, I went to Belmont blind in terms of, like, I didn't know anyone. I, didn't, you know, just kind of came in, you know, with nothing and, uh, quickly realized like, Oh shit, like this, this is the place, you know, and quickly, uh, got opportunities to play in the, you know, cover band scene down on lower Broadway and the honky tonks. And I was doing that by the time I was 18 and kind of, kind of realized pretty fast, like, Oh, there's jobs here. I like I didn't know that there like professional songwriting was a thing. I like I truly didn't know that there were staff songwriters that all they did was write songs for the artists that you hear on radio and in and, and that thing. So I didn't even know that was an opportunity. I just thought everybody joined a band. So I moved to town and joined a band and joined a cover band and and started just playing as much as I could. Um, and then eventually through being in the city, learned about the songwriting thing. And had some buddies that were jumping into that and taking it really seriously and were, and were really, really good. Um, and I, from a distance, I really enjoyed watching what they were doing. So it kind of, you know, started working up that muscle a little bit so that I could start songwriting and, and ended up writing with those guys and, and built our crew and, you know, eventually got to, you know, kind of where we are today and, and still growing, still learning and all that. But, um, but yeah, leaving Michigan was a big deal as much. I mean, I still go back all the time. I love it. And I owe Grand Rapids and, you know, my church community, my, my band directors, you know, the people I grew up with, I owe, I owe them everything, but moving to a city where professional music is being made, played, created daily at the highest level. Um, 
that was that was the most important thing to me for sure now your freshman year at belmont you lucked out you uh your roommate uh had a pretty famous dad in the music industry uh well Shit, you did do like? your you did do your recon on this oh of course <laughs> my man all right um yeah so uh Right away, freshman year, uh, my my roommate, this guy named Jeremy Brown, um, and he grew up here in Nashville, and his dad uh, is a session keyboard player, road player, uh, had wrote Five O'Clock Somewhere for Alan Jackson, big songwriter, um, a guy named Jim Brown. Everybody calls him Moose in town, um, and that gave me a huge opportunity, you know, when I first moved to town that, like, you know, Moose would call Jeremy and be like, yo, I'm at studio, blah, blah, blah. You want to come by? And me and Jeremy would just be in the dorm room hanging and he, you know, you want to come visit with my dad? And I'd walk in and there's Moose and Tom Bukovec and Shannon Forrest and like some of the top session guys in town. And, you know, I got to be a fly on the wall and watch them, you know, do the thing, like make records, you know, and, and, you know, see what it really takes to do that and it was a it was a really really fortunate crash course that i got um to be able to see that level like the top level of music making in the city at such a young age to kind of know what i'm up against and what the bar is and, and what i need to be aiming for um the skills i needed to have the you know mindset and attitude and work ethic that i needed to have to someday try to be at that level in some capacity yeah Though it may it may have been intimidating, do you think it also was pretty motivating for you to see like, dang, people are literally are doing it at the highest level, you know, and it's there if you just work and kind of emulate what they were doing. Yeah, no, incredibly motivating. And um, I think I think the one of the biggest motivators, at least for me, is, you know, fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in at least it, it like Belmont, like coming in freshman year, it's everyone is the big fish from their small pond. Everyone. Like I was the best musician in my small community coming out of high school, like period, end of discussion. Like I felt like I was the guy in a lot of ways. Um, And everyone else that I was around at 18, 19 years old at school was the same thing. And our first little intro into what we were up against would be like, seeing ensemble auditions at Belmont and watching the upperclassmen who were 22 that had four years of this Nashville, you know, Belmont experience. And we all, like all of us freshmen just kind of looked around like, Oh, we're fucked. Like those guys are good. Like I cannot do what they can do skill wise. um, Speed wise, their gear was amazing. My gear sucked. Like, it was really, really like eye-opening and, and scary. Mm-hmm. And then you jump into the studio where it's like, oh, this is like leagues above what I thought was scary. Now I'm shitting bricks. I'm terrified. Like, am I ever going to get that good? And, you know, when you hit that point, I think you have you have two choices. You either shell up and you do not get that good or you rise to the occasion and, and challenge yourself. Um, and find where you can live within that level of talent, you know, because I'm, I mean, still like, I'm not the guy that gets the call to play session guitar on a big record. I'm not that guy. Like that's Derek Wells. That's Rob McNally. That's Bukovac. That's, you know, that's those cats. And I'm not gonna 
catch those cats in that world because that's what they fucking do. But I can learn from them and and pick pieces off of them so that I can be competitive kind of thing, you know, especially because, you know, I'm focused more on the songwriting side, the production side, the artist side, where they, you know, a lot of those guys are solely focused on like being the player, you know, so that was the first like real challenge of like, okay, I, I live in more worlds, but just because I'm eclectic, that doesn't give me a pass because I have a wider skill set to not raise those skill sets to the highest level I can. Yeah. So what did your path look like to uh, you sign your first publishing deal with Sony? How soon after that was it from coming to town and how did it come about? Um, in the grand scheme of things, it was pretty it was pretty quick up front. Um, I moved to town when I was 18, went to school. I did school for like three years and dropped out. I, like by my junior year, I wasn't really in class. Um, I'd already had like a touring gig. I was playing bass for this, uh, for a Disney artist out of LA. Um, and so I was already working. So I wasn't focused on school. Um, I would have been 20 when I got that gig. And from that gig, I would, whatever kind of pocket change I had left from the paychecks, I would put that right back into demoing whatever songs I'd been writing. Um, and I remember I, like I signed up with BMI, my performing rights organization when I was around 20, my good friend, Steve Mokler, uh, who is an outstanding songwriter artist. Like he moved to town at 18 and we all kind of looked at him and went, Oh fuck. Like got to compete with this dude and he's my age. Like he was so much better than us. Um, and he was affiliated with, with, uh, BMI. So he set me up with a meeting with his, uh, his point person over there, uh, lady named Beth, uh, Beth Laird. And I remember meeting with Beth and showing her just like a few demos. And she basically told me like, Hey, like these aren't very good. Uh, but there's something like, like there's something here. So just keep writing, keep demoing the songs, keep recording, like keep working and bring me back more stuff later. Like, like there's something here. It just sucks right now. It's not very good. It's not competitive. Um, so then when I was around 20, I would have been 22. Uh, I just decided to record an EP, um, with some of that gig money that I had left over and uh, went back to Beth and told her like, Hey, I've, you know, made this EP. And she kind of was like, Oh, you did what? Like, I, like, that's not what I told you to do. Like, why, like you spent money on this? Uh, like she, I, I could kind of tell from her tone. She's like, ah, oh, shit. Like, all right, let's hear it. And, uh, you know, it ended up being something that she, she liked and it, it you know, the, the songs were better. There was a little more to sink or sink your teeth into. And, you know, I had some co-writers on the project that were signed hit songwriters, which was helpful and cool. Um, and from that project, Beth started setting me up with meetings with publishers on music row. Um, probably took a dozen meetings with different publishers and ended up at Sony. I think I signed there when I was 22 or 23. So about, you know, four to five years, you know, of gigging and working and writing and learning and, you know, cutting my teeth and that kind of thing until, uh, I signed my first pub deal. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it happened pretty fast. It doesn't feel fast when you're in it, but looking back it, you know, it was quick. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was getting up to the first pub deal. <laughs> so you go on to have a major smash, 
smash with uh, Jake Owen made for you. What do you remember about the day you guys wrote that one and what, uh, what went into writing that song? So it's funny, like, cause that's, you know, that's, I'm trying to think when we wrote that maybe 2018 or 19, like it's a little bit of an older song now, but it was 10 years after I, you know, had like really started trying to figure out the writing thing that we wrote this song. Um, and, and really at that point, like, it's not, it's not this like big romantic story. You know, there was nothing particularly special about the day. Like I wrote it with, with two of my good buddies, Benji Davis and Neil Medley, who I write with a ton um, and are fantastic writers. And it was just another day where someone had an idea and, you know, everything lined up and we nailed it. Like, like I'd written a thousand songs up to that point to get that one. Like truly, you know, it's, it's just, it it's like, like to me, the story is more about like putting your head down and writing a bunch of shitty songs that no one cares about and no one will ever hear so that when the right idea picks your room, you're ready to jump on it and you can do your job effectively. Cause you know, but like all three of, I felt like all three of us were on that day and, and kind of heeded the call from the universe not to get like hippy dippy. I swear I'm not that dude, but like, you know, I think, I think to some extent ideas pick you and and that idea came and we, we served it well. We, we really, you know, you know, put our put our feet in the sand and stood our ground and 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 worked hard to get those lines right. Um, and then from there, it just takes a bunch of luck. Like you know, we got lucky that you know Jake heard it. We got lucky that Jake was in a particular mood that day and felt accepting of a song like that. And then you know, we got lucky that his label liked it and got lucky that the producer liked it. We got lucky that it got cut to the fucking wall. The band played the shit out of it. Like. And then we got lucky that fans liked it. And then we got lucky that, you know, radio liked it and it stayed a lot because it was out for two, two years, maybe more before it got singled. So it's like, you got to have a lot of lucky things happen, you know, to get a hit. Like it's hard. Um, so really like the day was great because I was hanging out with my buddies and, and we knew we wrote something really, really cool, but that happens all the time and those songs don't see the light of day. So it's more, I think it's more about the grind leading up to it and all those lucky bounces you get after you write it to get it to that number one spot. For sure. Another one of my favorites that's always, uh, I'm always jamming on my playlist of yours is all I can think about lately. CJ Solar, huge writer. Oh, yeah. What do you remember about the day in the writing room with that one? Um, again, I mean, it's the same drill, man. Like me, CJ and Aaron gotten in the room, got in the room and CJ had the idea. It, it was definitely his brainchild. And me and Aaron just kind of knew like, oh, that's a really interesting hook. And CJ's got such a cool flavor to what he does. And for me and Aaron, that day was more about like, how do we best serve CJ's vision on this song? Yeah. And we wrote that a long time ago. That's an old song. Really, it, you know, it like some people bit at it about cutting it, but it never worked. And it was, you know, we didn't get the lucky bounces that, you know, a made for you guy or something else might have gotten. 
Um, and eventually I like I ran into CJ at an event and he was like, yo, dude, I just I just cut all I've been thinking about lately. And I was like, fuck, man, I haven't thought about that song in years. And I like when I left, I pulled it up on my phone, found the demo, and I was like, oh shit, this is cool. Like I forgot, like I've written hundreds of songs since then. And like, there's only so much, you know, space in your brain to remember stuff. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm glad he remembered this. Yeah. Now, you just recently uh, decided to put out an album of your own. I made a record. What was the creative process like of making that? Were these songs that you had pitched to others and maybe decided to keep for yourself? Or did you go in saying, I'm going to write this song for me for my album? Um. So in general, I tr like... I try not to go into any right unless I'm writing with an artist specifically for them in the room. Like they're in the room with me. I, unless that's the situation, I try not to go into a writing room with a preconceived notion of where the song is going to go. Yeah. Cause in my, in, in my opinion, like what that does to me is it immediately puts me in a box of what I feel like I can do that day. And also I put the other writers in the box of what I think they should do that day. And I think that is a quick way to paint yourself in a corner. Cause what if the, what if the best idea that day is over here and you're thinking about something over here, you're going to miss the opportunity to write the best thing that room has to offer that day. Um, so in terms of the record, I, I didn't go into any of it with the preconceived notion of like, Oh, today I'm with so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so, so I want to write something for me because I want to make a record. Um, most of those songs were written before I decided to go record the record. Um, and it, it it took a couple of those songs and and demoing them and, and hashing them out and then me playing them at writer's rounds for me to go, man, I, I really like singing these. Like like I like I feel some an attack more of an attachment to these songs than a lot of other songs. Maybe there's something there. And that's kind of the spark that started the 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 journey into into making the full record. Um but yeah, I, I try not to like, I, I feel like I know pretty soon, like if I am doing a project for me, like when I'm in the right, like, okay, this could be for me, you know, maybe 30 minutes, an hour in, like once you kind of get on an idea and get settled into a groove of where it's starting to shape up, I can kind of see like, hmm, this could be for me. And I might throw some lines in that feel more like my story than maybe like a pitchable story to another artist. Um, but that's probably the extent that I go in terms of like thinking about where a song should go before it's finished. I got you. Now, I like to close my interview by asking, what's a piece of advice you've learned along your journey as a, a songwriter and an artist that you'd give to these aspiring writers and artists out there? Uh, number one, you you have to be somewhere where songs are being written and great music's being made. I, I think uh, unless you're doing like, your own band and you have your thing in your town, your city, uh, and, and you have means to play out and all that. Like, that's a different scenario, but like, if you want to be a professional, you know, session musician, you know, professional songwriter, you know, something like that, like must be present to rule. Like 
like you can't win the lottery if you can't claim your prize. You know what I mean? Like, like you gotta be around the scene that you want to be in. Like if you want to be a part of the pop scene, like you gotta go to LA, New York, you know, like you gotta be somewhere. If you want to be in the country scene, like I, I, tr I really feel like you just have to fucking be in Nashville. Like, like there's not much of an, of an alternative because one, this is where everything's happening business-wise. This is where the bulk of the country music business is happening. If, if we're going to talk specifically about country, um, just cause that's mostly what I do. Um, but also like being around kind of going back to what I was, what we were talking about earlier, like being around that high concentration of the most talented people in a field and actively collaborating with and competing with those people is what makes you your, your best is what pulls the best that you can be out of you. So if you just live in an echo chamber of okay competition in music, it's almost impossible to be great because you don't, you're not surrounded by greatness. Like I'm constantly reminded that a lot of my buddies are whooping my ass day in and day out, like writing better songs, doing cooler shit, getting on bigger records, producing, writing, playing on bigger records, getting more opportunities. And that is part of the fire that makes you want to, to win, to succeed. You know, part of it is, you know, I'm stuck. I'm obviously stoked for all my buddies, like when something great happens for them, but there's also a part of me that's like, I'm going to beat you next time, motherfucker. Like, that's my cut next time. Like, yeah. fuck you. You know, and that's, like, I think that's good. It's a healthy competition um, that drives you to just constantly try and beat what you did the day before. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to my interview with Joey Hyde. Joey, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram, at Joey Hyde, and go stream his new album out now, I Made a Record. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Quinn Stanfill, drummer for Riley Green. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.